1: Hello, I'd like to welcome you again as we continue in our study of this wonderful book of Exodus. And let's just take a few moments now and ask God to help us as we study his book. Lord, we're conscious today that this is your book. This is God's book. These are the words of God. And we know, Lord, that we can't understand the words of God without your help, Lord, your opening of our eyes, your revealing truth to us, You're speaking to our hearts. This is our prayer this morning or today, Lord, as we look to you now in Jesus' name, amen. All right, now, in our last study, we were looking at verse 10 from chapter three, and we saw that this was a commission that God had given to Moses. We read in verse 10, Exodus three ten, where God said to Moses, come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. What a responsibility that Moses was given. I mean, God is talking about my people, and he's saying that my people are in a great trouble And so you would think that God himself would come down and directly and just excuse everybody else out of the way, angels included, and do the job himself, but instead he calls Moses and he says, Moses, come, I'm going to send you. This is so close to my heart. We saw how close it was to God's heart as we read the verses before where he spoke about, I know their sorrows, I've seen the oppression, I've heard their cries. It's so close to his heart, but he says, and I came down, and so there he is, but then he turns to Moses and he says, Moses, it's you. You are the one. Come now, therefore, I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So Moses is commissioned at this point. This is his commissioning, and he's commissioned to bring forth, to bring out the Jewish people out from under the yad, the hand of the Egyptians, the power of the Egyptians that's over them and so this is a tremendous commissioning verse here in verse 10 but let's just for a moment take one step back one step back and look at this scene look at what's happening from a new light let's take one step back and look at Moses in comparison to every other person living on the earth at that time We see Moses front and center, but now let's set Moses within the picture or the context of the rest of mankind that's on the earth at that time. When we look at every single person who God created and God loved and God has a concern for, and then we see Moses, then we consider that among all other people alive at that time, it was Only to one man, Moses, that God appeared in verse 2. And when you think of all the people that were alive in Moses' days, and you read verse 2, again, you put that in the context of every person that's alive, and you read verse 2, Exodus 3, 2, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, it says, in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. You know what's so impressive about that, when you read that verse 2, that it doesn't say, unto them. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto them. But it's only unto him, just unto Moses, Moses alone. And with those words, unto him, it emphasizes something very, very important, And that is that of all the people alive in Moses' days, it was only unto him, only to Moses. In fact, this would really come home if we would just insert that word only there. It's not there, but we put it in just to sort of bring it out a little bit in verse 2. And you see how it would read in Exodus 3, 2, and the angel of the Lord appeared only unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burnt with fire and the bush was not consumed. But the point we're trying to make here is that in the context of all the people on the earth, at that time, it was only to Moses, only to Moses and to no one else did God come, did God appear to, did God speak to, did God show the burning bush that was not consumed, only to Moses, just to Moses. In fact, the rest of the verse in the verse 2 there really carries this point of how unusual this was for Moses because, again, we could insert the word only so it would read... And it says, uh, only Moses looked, only he looked, it says, and he looked, and only Moses looked. And behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. See, from these words, when we read the second part of this verse 2 here, and we really get impressed at how This was something that just struck Moses as, I mean, who's ever seen a bush burning and not consumed, right? And so, you know, maybe this is a special kind of bush that I've never run across before in the desert. So he stops and you can just feel how impressed Moses is with how unusual this sight is of a bush that's burning with fire and that's not consumed. No one else saw that bush. No one else ever saw a bush like that, burning with fire. And so again, we could insert the word that only to show how Moses was singled out among all the people of the world. And so now we come and look at verse 4 in Exodus 3:4, And when it says there, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, it says, God called unto him, out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. So again, this uniqueness, this privilege, this benefit that Moses has. We could plug it in there in the second part of verse four and we could read something like this. God called only unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, only to Moses, just to Moses. No one else did God call his name twice. From the midst of a burning bush that would not be consumed. Just to Moses. Moses is alone out there. And no one else did God come to in that way. And then God said to Moses in verse 5, he says, The ground that you're standing on, Mr. Moses, is holy ground. Why? Because the Holy One was there. That ground wasn't holy yesterday, but it's holy now because the Holy One of Israel is standing there in the midst of that bush, making the ground around the bush holy. And so he says to Moses, he informs him this, and he says, don't come closer. Don't come closer. Don't come closer. He says, draw not, draw nigh hither. Don't come closer. Don't come closer. That was what... The children of Israel says what the Jewish people said when they're around Mount Sinai. And God says, don't let them come close to the the Mount at all. Put up a fence because if they do, they'll be consumed. As a matter of fact, they were so impressed with that that they actually said to Moses, we don't want to go. You go. We don't want to go. You go. We're not going. Why? Because the holiness of God. They realized the holiness of God would consume them in an instant just like that. And so Moses was warned, don't come any closer, Moses. The ground you stand on is holy. The person you are approaching is holy. You are not. And so don't come any closer. He says, draw not nigh hither. And then he says, put off thy shoes. Take your sandals off, Moses. from off thy feet. He says, take your sandals off. And so he was showing Moses, Moses, when you come and approach the Holy One, approach him with reverence. Approach him with respect. Approach him with honor. Honor and respect the holiness of God. And then he says, for the ground, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. It was only to Moses, only to Moses, to no one else did God come making the ground around himself holy. And so we could insert those three words in verse five, only to Moses, and it could read like this. And he said, only to Moses, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet for the place whereon thou standest holy ground. Only to Moses, to no one else, did God come and make ground holy and yet not destroy the person who walked on that holy ground. Only to Moses. And then it was only to Moses that God identified himself in verse 6. And again, it comes home with an impact, with a force, when we insert the words, only to Moses. In verse 6, it could read it like this. Moreover, he said, only to Moses, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. He was afraid to look upon God. God revealed himself Only to Moses, this time here, only to Moses did God identify himself as the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, only to Moses. And then it was only to Moses that God bared wide open his heart of what was deeply troubling God that's a very intimate thing. I mean, if it, somebody, I might have something on my heart right now that's deeply troubling me. I'm not going to tell anyone. And same with you also. Why? Because it's personal, right? But God, only to Moses, bears wide open what's extremely personal to God and tells Moses what's troubling him. Only to Moses, no one else, God reveals a disturbing scene that's like burned in his eyes and in his mind. As the scene fills his sight, he can see it of the affliction of his people Israel. Only to Moses, God reveals disturbing cries that fill his ears. And he can hear the cries of, of the children of Israel from under the hand of the Egyptians by reason of the taskmasters. It was only to Moses that God revealed the most personal side of what was deeply causing him sorrow when he said, with these words really revealing something very intimate for God, the knowledge of their sorrows, I know their sorrows. And all this could be emphasized if we plugged in these words only to Moses in verse 7, which might read something like this. And the Lord said, only to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry by reason of the taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. It was only to Moses, it wasn't to anybody else, that God revealed the most personal aspect of what was troubling him, what was disturbing him, what he'd seen, what he'd heard, what he knew. And it was only to Moses, and then it was only to Moses that God then revealed, and these are all matters of revelation, Moses, nobody could have known this, but in advance of the great trouble that came to Egypt, in advance of that, God then pulls Moses in to his close confidence. And he reveals to him that he's going to do something. And he reveals to him what he's going to do. And he says that I am come down. I myself, God says, have come down. I didn't send an angel. I didn't send 12 legions of angels. I myself, he says, have come down. I am come down. He didn't say I will come down. He said I am come down from heaven. And it's only to Moses that he tells why he's come down. He said I've come down to deliver my people, the Jewish people, out of the hand, the power of the Egyptians. Only to Moses, he says in verse 8, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Only to Moses, no one else. God reveals that he's come down to deliver the Jewish people just to them, just to him. He's the only one knew. And then it was only to Moses and no one else that God revealed that he wasn't just coming down to deliver them, break the hand of the Egyptians, but he was going to do something wonderful to them. He was going to bring them into a land, a land that God described as a good land, a land described as a large land, the land that God described as a land with flowing with milk and honey. You can only imagine, just try to imagine. You can only imagine Moses, but he's telling them all these things here. He's explaining it to them. Only to Moses, he tells him the exact place of the land. He says it's the place where the Canaanites are now living. It's the place where the Hittites are and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. That's the place. When he says this, he makes this unique revelation only to Moses in Exodus 3.8 when he says, I'm gonna bring them up Out of the land unto a good land and a large and a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Only to Moses. Just Moses. No one else. God's revealing these things. That he's bringing the Jewish people into this land that's flowing with milk and honey. No one else did God reveal that to Nobody else did God tell that to. He certainly didn't tell the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites that their land was going to be given to the Jewish people only to Moses. He tells this of all the people that were alive at that time, God chose to single out one man, Moses. And God chose to do all this, to say all that he said to Moses, to reveal all that he revealed to Moses and to no one else. And Moses was chosen of all the people on the earth to receive all that God had done for him. Moses was chosen. Moses was privileged. Moses was benefited. And because Moses received all those benefits, which he did, what benefits? He saw God. God brought him into his confidence. God confidentially bared his heart to him wide open, told him what was troubling him, told him what was disturbing him at his core. God confidentially revealed to Moses that he was already come down there to deliver the Jewish people. God confidentially revealed to Moses that he was going to bring the Jewish people into a land that was flowing with milk and honey. He says it's a land that's flowing with milk and honey. He said, "It's a land that is flowing with milk and honey." He didn't say it was a land that would flow with milk and honey, but it is a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And you remember when the twelve spies were sent when, when the yeah, it's twelve spies were sent into the land of Canaan that they talked about, oh, the fruit is unbelievable. We came down to this river called Eshkol, and we got this huge cluster of grapes. It's so big, you have never seen anything like this before, that we got a big rod here, and we took two men of us, and this is a symbol for the state of Israel today, and we had to carry it back. It was so big, and God says, I see that land. I see that land flowing with milk and honey. I have chosen Israel to have that land, and I'm gonna bring them out of Egypt and I'm gonna bring them into this land. And it was only to Moses that he tells all these things. And he didn't force Moses, he tells him all these things. And then there's just one thing that comes along with all things that God has chosen him for. There is responsibility now on Moses. Moses doesn't walk away and say, Boy, that was really great. Thanks a lot for telling me that. That was as good as going to a movie. That's wonderful. Thank you. And walk away. No, no, that's not the way it works. Because God singled out Moses and God chose Moses to confidentially reveal all these things to him for a purpose. God had a purpose. What was the purpose? Verse 10. Verse 10 is the purpose. Come now, therefore, I've told you all these things, therefore, come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So it was because God had chosen Moses, and it was because God gave him all those great privileges that God made Moses now commissioned or responsible for bringing the Jewish people up out of Egypt. But it's the wonderful thing about God. He does all this, he bears his heart, he shows him everything, he commissions him, he calls him, he sends him, but he never pushes him, he never coerces him, he never forces Moses to accept the responsibility from God. That's totally Moses' choice as to whether or not he's going to accept the responsibility. Is God sovereign? Yes, God is sovereign. Could God force? Yes, he could force. Did God force? No, he did not. Because God, who is the all-sovereign one, has chosen, as he has with all mankind, with Moses to crown Moses' head with the crown of sovereignty of choice. And he says to Moses, I crown you with the sovereignty of choice. That's your choice. Just like receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. Every person has their choice. To every person, God, and he's made him in the image of God, he's made man in the image of God, God has then crowned each man with the sovereignty of choice, and each man crowned with the sovereignty of choice must make his own choice. He will come to God's lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, receive him as his savior, or he will not. That's man's choice. He will set before him life and death. He will advise him. God will advise him. I advise you. I counsel you. Choose life that thou mayest live, as he said in Deuteronomy. But he stands back and he waits. What is your decision, God says to every man? What is your choice, God says to every person? Because God has crowned each man with the sovereignty of choice. Sovereignty of choice. God hates fatalism, because when it comes to man making his decision, God says, each one that makes his own decision, each one determines his destiny, each one determines where he will spend eternity. Receive and come by the way that God has made, come by the blood sprinkled path, come and put your trust and faith in God's lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Trusting in the blood that he shed when he said, uh, the blood is given to you to make an atonement for sin. Life of the flesh is in the blood in Leviticus 17, 11. Come that way, heaven, life, eternity, saved, happiness. Reject it, hell, death, misery, torment, torture, consciousness, memories that don't go away. So, but God says, you make the choice. I've said it before you as a choice, now you choose. This is the same way with Moses in the sense here that Moses has now been commissioned and given the responsibility to bring the Jewish people out. And so it's now Moses' choice to either accept or reject the responsibility that God has called him to. And as a matter of fact, as we're going to read here, Moses did not, did not at first accept the responsibility that God called them to. We get that right in the next verse, right after God called them to. In verse 11, Moses said unto God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And there's an argument that starts and it goes on for too many verses. It's difficult to read, but Moses says he can't speak, etc., etc. And Moses finally does accept it, but along the way he unfortunately... For better or for worse, he gets strapped with his brother Aaron to be a spokesman. But finally, with some difficulty, finally Moses accepts the responsibility that God has called him to. We're going to come to that. Now, why have I done all this? Why have I described all this only to Moses and the choice that was made and Moses at first rejects and then he said, "Why did I do? I mean, I didn't have to do this when we go through this, this passage. Here we can just keep on going to the next verse, but I did it for a reason. And the reason why I did this is because that whole picture of what we just covered here, only to Moses, God makes the choice, Moses rejects, Moses finally accepts, that whole picture of what happened to Moses is a picture of the Jewish people. Moses is a type of Israel. Moses is a type of the Jewish people. Moses is a parable in his life, of the Jewish people. Or Moses is, as Paul described himself, a pattern that the Jewish people follow. When Paul described himself, he said, you know, I first was vehemently against, and I persecuted the church, and and I persecuted the Lord Jesus Christ, and I was was blasphemous, and I was injurious, and then I was broken, then I was saved, and then I became an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul said at one point, he said, look at me, look at me, I'm a pattern for the Jewish people that will follow thereafter.